I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. So the very first interview I ever recorded on the radio, which I, well, I guess was 1999 or 2000, I, uh, I interviewed this nun um, over the phone about some, I don't know, anti-nuke project or you know something, whatever it was. And uh, I interviewed her on this uh, newly installed digital recording studio in this NPR station that I was working in at the time. And if you – every time you hit record, it erased everything that was already on there if you hadn't saved it and just went again. So I interviewed her on the phone, and at the very end, I uh, reached down for the mouse to go over to the next button over and click stop and save. And I accidentally clicked the mouse, which was still over the record button oh. that I had originally pressed. And I erased the entire interview oh. and I, and it was for a show that afternoon. I had to just call her back and say, I'm so very sorry. I'm an idiot. And I just erased our entire conversation. And she said, you know, I was actually kind of unhappy with a lot of my answers. I'm so glad you called back. Cause I'd love another <laughs> shot at doing that. <laughs> so we did it all again and it was perfect. But believe, me i have erased and deleted my share of audio in the last 20 something years it happens to everybody this is the sound logic podcast and the reason that we are talking like this is because we just had that experience happen to us (laughs) we had some uh very very lovely content all uh all lined up and then things crumbled and so we're back again recording the sound logic podcast episode 12 with jason crane so um why don't we Why don't we ask Jason a few questions here, Mike? Uh, we'll use this little bit for our midweek episode. Sure, and and then we'll we'll run through the album. And I will try to be much more concise than I was. <laughs> right, that is not a talent of mine, but I will work hard at it. So. I enjoy it. It's not. I was not feeling like things were dragging there in the in the lost tapes as they're now known like as, um. as we all know it was somewhat of a miracle that any song ever played on the morning mixtape so <laughs> i and i always feel that way because i just know how i am but here's the thing my friend this the people stopped listening when it was just music so there's something in your in there your you vocal go. cords that were keeping the pulse of that station alive rest in peace yeah, so Jason, we always talk about kind of our uh, if we've heard the album before, and we know that the answer for you is yes. Uh, so, could you just tell us briefly, like when did you first hear the album? Did you have any memories of when you first heard it? I think I don't think this is an invented story uh, that I'm about to tell. I think I first heard this album in 1995 in Tucson, Arizona. And the reason I think it was then is because I think the day before I listened to it for the first time, I had gone over to – I was not a, a student at the University of Arizona, but I played in a band, uh, and and a couple people in that band were music students at the University of Arizona. And I had gone over to a jam session with them, uh, a rehearsal, working on tunes for a gig we were going to play. And one of the tunes we were going to play was Blue and Green, which is mm-hmm. one of the songs on Kind of Blue. And it is a it is not an easy form to follow. the The structure of the song is not apparent to the ear if you've never heard the song before. No. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not just like a typical jazz standard or a blues where 
you know, somebody woke you up in the middle of the night and you heard a blues playing in the next room, you could tell them, okay, it's coming back around to the top now. It's not that kind of thing at all. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) And I got horribly lost. But I was, uh, I was of the people in the room. I think I was the only actual professional musician. I played in a salsa band, and I, you know, I played all the time. That's how I had gotten invited to do this thing. And um, and I was kind of embarrassed to say, like, this is kind of blue for God's sake. I mean, this would be like me, you know, getting up in the pulpit one day and seeing the Bible sitting there and saying, "Oh, cool! What I've never heard of this. What's this book?" <laughs> um, I've heard so, preachers who have done that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, so I, I got absolutely lost and, uh, right across the street from my apartment was a branch of the Tucson library. And I, and I had been going over there to sign out, uh, I think it was still even cassettes, but cassettes and CDs, uh, from their library. And I thought, boy, I better figure out what's what here. And, uh, so, and I knew I had huge holes in my listening. I grew up listening to big band music with my grandpa and people like Nat Cole. And then I never listened to rock music. And then I got to high school and my friends were all into rush and yes. And Genesis. So I got totally into prog rock. And then when I started playing improvised music professionally, I just had, I mean, basically from like 1940 <laughs> to the whole rest of the history of jazz, uh, except that I like, I grew up part of the time in Rochester, New York. So I knew Chuck Mangione and I knew, you know, so I had like all these weird little pockets of jazz that I knew about. And there were people who would take exception to my characterizing Chuck as jazz, but I'll go to the mats <laughs> on that. One. But I had these little weird pockets. Like I had heard a Miles Davis album from the seventies that was like all free and funk. And, you know, I had these little weird things. But when it came to like the seminal records, like uh, I had heard John Coltrane's My Favorite Things, but I had never heard a Love Supreme or Giant Steps. Um, right. I had heard this, you know, Miles Davis live in concert, which is this later free jazz funk workout thing that he did it, you know, in the 74 or something. But I had never heard Kind of Blue. I had never heard Sketches of Spain. I mean, just these these massive records that if I had done any kind of normal jazz education, they just would have been front loaded at the, at the beginning of the curriculum. Right. So after this embarrassing experience with blue and green, where I just, I mean, I didn't know where I was in the form. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I still knew how to play my instrument. I went over (laughs) to the Tucson library. I got a copy of kind of blue and I, you know, I sat down and listened to it. Uh, And it's not like it wasn't obvious why it was good. Although I'm not sure I had the tools to really understand it at that, you know, at that point, Um, but I'm pretty sure that's about when I had listened to it for the first time. Uh, and the other thing I remember around that time was that I also had listened, uh, Bill Evans is the piano player who plays on kind of blue on all but one track. And I had just had an experience. I had heard people talking about Bill Evans for, for years and years and I had listened to him and I just always thought, eh, it's kind of boring. And then I had this one experience where I was like sitting in front of my stereo in my efficiency apartment in Tucson, and I was listening to Bill Evans' Sunday at the Village Vanguard, and I had this kind of overwhelming emotional experience, and I thought, oh, man, I finally get Bill Evans. So then to kind of have that dovetail with kind of blue, I was like, okay, I, I kind of see what's going on here. Um, so I think that's probably the first time I listened to it. And then, of course, you know, by the nature of what I've chosen to do with the rest of my life – I have encountered the album many, many, many times. I've you know read entire books about it, that kind of thing. But right. uh, but I think that was the first time. So this is a, a, a ignorant jazz person speaking right now. Uh, wh- when you talk about wanting to listen to an album over and over again, I, I'm imagining the the great albums in my collection that I want to listen to over and over again are often to uh, sing along with 
you can't really do that with instrumental music. So do you play along with a, a great jazz album? Are you immersing yourself in it just for the feel of the music or uh, describe either of you really describe to me what it is that compels you to put on a purely instrumental album like this, even a great one. Like yeah. This. I want to jump. I want to jump in here. I, I sing along to instrumental stuff all the time. Mike, I was just thank you so much because I was going to say Ben definitely just outed himself as not a fan of prog rock. Because if you think that I haven't spent thousands of hours singing along to keyboard solos in my day, you do not know me well enough. Yet. Oh man, I sing. I can't. I can't hear roundabout without singing the bass line. Dude, well, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, oh my god, yeah. I literally spent two hours in my basement the other night watching Rick Wakeman in a cape with John Anderson, who's now 75, and Trevor Rabin do a live show from last fall on YouTube. And I sang along, and my partner, who was sitting upstairs at the time, will attest to this. I sang along to every note of every solo, (laughs) plus all the vocals. So it is definitely possible. So um, I – okay, so – I live very close to where I work right now and so close that my wife and I only need one car and she just drives me into work. Um, and usually, and lately we we listen to jazz and it'll come on in the morning on the way to work. And when I recognize a tune, even an instrumental, I will hum along to the melody or maybe even sometimes if I'm feeling particularly, uh, outgoing, I will maybe improvise a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do that all the time. I don't. I don't need there to be a lyric necessarily. Although I do love mm. singing along to mm. lyrics. Um, yeah, I, I. Sometimes Ben, it's just a mood. It's a. I. I don't want to hear a lyric. I just want to hear something instrumental, or I want to hear that particular track. Sometimes I put on kind of blue, and I just want to listen to all blues. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's me. Well, I have so many questions now, uh, but I think we I think we probably need to get to the album, be, and they'll they'll eventually come out. Unless you were going to say something more, there, Jason. Sorry, I cut you off. Uh, no, please uh, feel free to dive right into the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, and ahead, Ben, no. just before we continue, I mean, uh, I think you've kind of showed your hand here, but you you hadn't heard this album before we started, right? Correct. I. Uh, I'm very new to this genre, really, in general. Uh, I actually went to uh, YouTube, the great educator, this afternoon and uh, <laughs> found a video that explained jazz styles. It was like 12 minutes giving like, I don't know, 30 seconds to, to each style. So I don't know, it went over probably like 24 different styles of jazz. And I was just like totally overwhelmed with the, you know, I consider myself to be fairly affluent when it comes to to music, music in general. Um, but yeah, I, it, this afternoon I just glimpsed over the edge of the rabbit hole for just a moment it was like, Oh my goodness, there's this whole other world out there that I, I am very, very new to. Um, I knew enough to, to be able to say that Miles Davis was a trumpet player. And I think I have in my head that, you know, th- that this album is significant, but that's about it. I'm in over my head. <laughs> Yeah, Ben, Jason and I are just going to talk right now, so you know you can just listen. <laughs> no, uh, I'm just kidding. And let me right there say the only thing I will say in this entire show that actually matters, and that is this. There is no rabbit hole. This j- Jazz is no different 
from any other music that you listen to. It does not require a password. It does not require entrance into a priesthood. It does not require any special knowledge. The people who make you think that it does are jazz musicians and jazz fans who want to hold on to some rarefied, uh, precious gem that no one's allowed to see unless they can get past the gatekeeper's quiz questions outside the cave. And Uh, that is why nobody listens to jazz. Oh, man. We need to get (laughs) Sally on the phone. We were joking earlier that we used to be on the radio together because it just dawned on me this is exactly like the wine industry. Where you can enjoy yes. you can enjoy a glass of wine just fine, but as soon as people start talking about the wine, for some people it's paralyzing because you realize how little of this world you actually know about, and and it kills the enjoyment of that first sip. Uh, it takes. Do you guys use adult person. language on this we podcast? Have, we have not yet, but I've been looking for an excuse to throw in some kind of wild beep sound. So go ahead. Okay, so here's your here's your chance to beat. Those people are full of because if you blindfold the average person right. and you give them two bottles either of the identical wine or of any kind of wine, most people can't tell the difference. They can only tell when the label is visible right. and right. they want to sound smart. Now, I obviously like anything, like rock music, like baking, like pottery, like anything, if you decide, I would like to have special knowledge of this area, you can do that for the rest of your life and jazz will never exhaust the possibilities for special knowledge. But you do not have to come to it with that special knowledge. Mm. When people say to me, I don't like jazz, first of all, I know they've rarely listened to any jazz. And second, I know most of the jazz they've listened to is what's constantly parodied on television. I have never seen a positive reference to jazz on television. I probably never will in my lifetime, other than like Ken Burns jazz. And quite honestly, if that set on fire, I'd be pretty happy too. So I I was just watching. There's a show I like called AP Bio. uh, And because every show has to have this joke somewhere, they got to a bit where he talks about how everybody, nobody likes jazz. They just like to say they do. And then they had to diss jazz for a few minutes. And I dig because jazz has spent so much time trying to make itself seem exclusive, but it is not exclusive. Hmm. If you like hip hop, I will show you some improvised music that you can dig. If you like the, you know, the Allman Brothers, I'll show you some improvised music that you can dig. If you like uh, electronica and EDM music or anything, I'll show you some improvised music that you can get into, all of which would fit under this kind of loose umbrella term of jazz, none of which sounds like the other things all of which contains elements of improvisation and risk, which I think is one of the things that helps define this music. Mm. But it does not, it, it is not all of a piece and it is, it does not require climbing the mountain. If you want to climb the mountain, it's there for you to climb, but it's also pretty just to look at. And so it honestly, if, if people hear nothing else that I say, there is so much cool music. I mean, that falls under this kind of improvised music umbrella. It just go out and, just try it out and you'll find something that you dig that it's it's out there. And now that we live in an era where we have access to everything, it's all available for you for free. It's not like in the old days where it was actually kind of an esoteric practice to figure out what it was in a record store you should buy. Just go on Spotify and just start clicking yeah. through some playlists that were jazz in them. And there's cool stuff in there. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.